0: All right, John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles open up there, if you don't have a Bible, there are Pew Bibles and some of it should be up on the screen. Last week we worked through John 3:16 through 22 and we were talking about how it's incredible that God actually loves this world because again, all throughout scripture the idea of the world is the world is against God. The world has sinned. We need the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So it's incredible the love of God towards us and giving His own Son. We talked about how those who hate the light and love the darkness are those who do not follow God. And those of us who God has worked in a mighty way and given us a new heart, we now have a desire to keep our works in the light most of the time. We talked about how even though we are believers, there are times that we still want to hide our works from God. But those who do not have Christ, they have no choice at this point. They have to hide their works because they don't understand yet. And that's why the call to all people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, because you're already, if you don't believe on Jesus, you're already under condemnation. That's what the text said. And so we ended with that. And now the Apostle John changes in his writing here to go back to John the Baptist. Or as I've said before, possibly John the Baptizer, since other denominations get upset when we use that term, the Baptist. Some of them do. But this is John the Baptist's farewell, is what this is known as. And so we're going to start in verse 22. And work through the text together. Starting in verse 22. After this, meaning what had just happened before, of course, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at the Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison couple things stand out that I want to share with you this morning these uh, verses remember that Jesus remains with them Jesus's idea of discipleship is life on life he's going to have his disciples with him he's going to spend time with them because again any of us can put on a good front when we come here for an hour or two I can put on my Christian face with my Christian clothes use the Christianese language and I can try to impress everybody for an hour or so Jesus is interested in your life. And he says, I'm going to spend my life with these disciples, I'm going to pour into them, and then I'm going to send them to the rest of the world. And the same is true for us. We're going to be living this life together, with Christ, with one another, so that way we truly can't hide these things from one another, but we can help each other, encourage one another, edify one another, and point each other to Christ. Jesus models that, life on life discipleship. If you think for a moment, you're like, I don't really have anyone that I do life with. That's a problem. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We have a plenty of people here who would love to do life with you. We would love to. So this says he remained there. Jesus remained there and was baptizing. Whoa. Jesus baptizing people. Some of you have heard that Jesus didn't baptize people. What's important is that we read all of Scripture. If you get down into chapter 4 of John, this says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, this is again chapter 4, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples did. It's the idea that Jesus is baptizing, meaning his disciples are the ones doing it. It's under his authority. Okay, Don't miss that. John was also baptizing. Now what's interesting is, why is John still baptizing? Do you remember? I mean, John's whole role, his job was to come and, and pave the way for Christ. But apparently, his job wasn't completely over yet. He was still being faithful and still talking about the Lamb of God and baptizing for repentance. But something he talked about, Jesus, early, if you remember, and he said that Jesus was going to give a better baptism. Was Jesus going to baptize with water in that scenario? What was he going to baptize? Help me, congregation. With the Holy Spirit, So that's not what this is talking about at this point. It's not saying that Jesus and His disciples were baptizing with the Holy Spirit. No, they were also baptizing with water. Baptizing with the Holy Spirit is definitely coming, but they're baptizing with water as well. But look what it says about midway through verse 23. They were in those locations because water was plentiful there. This is part of the discussion when we talk about why do... Uh, Baptists in particular in our church, why would we hold to baptism by immersion? This is one of the verses that we see, that it seems that there needs to be a lot of water. Why would there need to be a lot of water? If you're just going to drip a little bit on the head, why would there need to be a lot of water? No, the idea is to be immersed because that actually has symbolism in it. It's this idea of going down and dying to the person you were before and raising to be with Christ in new life. Here's the encouragement for you real quick. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be baptized. Not so that it saves you, but it is an act of obedience. And the way we show that we've been saved by Jesus is we obey him. And so if you haven't been baptized, that's how you tell the world you're a Christian. Some of us say, well, I just tell people I'm a Christian. That's not how they do it in Scripture. Kind of like, for the most part, not always, but in our culture, the way you signify, the way I show that I'm married, at least for the most part in this culture, is with a ring. Now, sometimes people wear rings for other reasons and things like that, but in general, this is what it's been historically. That's how I show people that I'm married. The same is true with baptism. That's the way you proclaim. Not even walking in an aisle and coming in front and saying, well, I'm a Christian. That's great. But the next step is show that by obedience and baptism. So I'd encourage you, not that baptism saves you, don't miss that, because then that would be a work, and we're saved by grace, not works. But there there should not be, and it's hard to find anywhere in Scripture other than the thief on the cross, because he couldn't be baptized, of Christians who aren't baptized. That's what obedience looks like. So the water was plentiful there, and the people were coming and being baptized. And then John the Apostle adds this little note in here about John the Baptist for us, for John had not yet been put in prison. Thanks for the insight. (laughs) Why is that in there? Well, what's interesting is that means all the events that we've seen so far, if you were to go to the Gospel of Mark, I think it's by about verse 16 is when John gets arrested. So this shows you all these things were happening very early in Jesus' ministry. And then John does get arrested. Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification... We've heard this purification idea come up multiple times. Again, we saw this at the wedding when there were the, the pots there that they were used for purification. We saw that Jesus just completely redefined what purification was by when they took the, the water from those pots and brought it. He turned what? The water into what? Wine. wine. And wine helps us think of the joy of what's coming, celebration, the marriage supper of the lamb, and what else does the wine or fruit of the wine, fruit juice, what else does it remind us of? The blood. Jesus' blood brings a better purification than what the water could. The water was temporary, something they had to continue to do. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are purified completely by His blood. Mm -hmm. So they're discussing this. This Jew, again, this seems to be maybe one of the rulers, again, coming around and asking questions. And, and And they're discussing with John's disciples about purification, And somehow the conversation turns in verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, okay, some of his followers who still haven't left John to follow Jesus, they're still around with John. Rabbi, which means what? Teacher. Teacher. He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, again, we just saw above that John was still baptizing, so that's not even a true statement. seems like these guys, their noses may be a little bent out of shape. Their teacher isn't as popular as he once was. People are starting to go to this Jesus guy, but you know they, these guys have been John's disciples, and they seem to be a little bit out of shape about this. Look, everyone's going to this Jesus guy. And as they're saying it to John, it seems like they're trying to get him a little bit fired up. They're wanting to know what's going on. Aren't you upset that they're all going to him? Let's see what John's response is. John answered. Love, John. Look at this. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Real quick side note here. This is why we don't boast in ourselves. Oh, I'm such a talented this. Or I can do that. Everything that you have is from heaven above. So because of that, you can't boast. And you shouldn't. You should just say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If I'm able to do that, that's by the grace of God. If I'm able to do this, that's by the grace of God. All of this comes because it's given to us from heaven. So then, we don't boast about ourselves, but we boast about the one who gives us these things. And in case you didn't know, that's God. And he loves to receive his glory. He loves it. Because he deserves it. So he responds to them, and they're saying, look, all these people are going to Jesus. Now he has this ministry, and John says, if Jesus has this ministry, that means it's been given to him by God. And in essence, what he's saying is, if my ministry is supposed to get smaller, that's because that's from God as well. John understands something that they are missing, and I think that sometimes we miss John is realizing and has already realized that it's not about him. It's not. He knew what his role was. He was faithful to his role. He's continuing to be faithful until it ends. And what he's saying ultimately is, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about God. Verse 28. You you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. Do you remember that? A few weeks ago, we were reading in the text, he said that. They should already know this. They're not very good disciples. He's already explained this to them. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He knew his job. And he was content in that. Now he goes into a little analogy to help them understand. Let's see if it helps us. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. All right, Mr. George, Miss Alice, would you guys be willing to help me with something? Stand on up, please. Great, thank you. You didn't even say yes, but look at that, they're willing. <laughs> Come on up here, please. The bride, the bridegroom, okay. Okay. I'm going to be the best man. That's, in essence, what John is explaining. He's the, the best man, okay? Now, I'm the best man because George and I go way back. We have this relationship. It's wonderful. I love George. George loves me. He has this relationship with me, and I get to be the best man. Am I the most important person on their wedding day? No. I'm not? Nope. No. Not even supposed to be. In fact, what's interesting is some say in, in the laws back then the best man is not even allowed, could never even be allowed to marry the bride. Like let's say he passed away or something, and then maybe I would step in and marry No. There's actually laws that would say, No, no, even the best man, I'm supposed to be so for him that there would be this there's this distance even in the laws of the time. So, I'm the best man, the wedding is about them, <laughs> a lot about her, right? <laughs> this is what the wedding's for. I'm supposed to be here to support. Now, also in the time, what that meant was if I was the best man, I had a lot of responsibilities to make sure that the wedding went well, to prepare things, to get people ready. Does that sound like something John had to do? That's what John was doing. My jobs to prepare the way. So I prepare the way, I get it ready, and now it's time for the wedding. And when he comes, all the work that I've been trying to do, when he comes to get his bride I should have great joy. Do you see that's what John says? He says, my joy is now complete because he's come. I've done what I can do. I've, I've worked hard. I've paved the way. I've tried to set up this whole thing so they could get married. Now, the groom has come and my joy is complete. Thank you. Go ahead and sit down. What would be wrong with that picture if I'm upset at the wedding day because it's not about me anymore? Think about it for a second. That would be wrong. If I was all upset, this isn't about me, I worked hard. It's about Jesus and his bride. What they're Ultimately, what he's trying to do here is explain to them, to his followers, to this Jew, to the people who are asking. He's saying, you don't get it. It's not my place any longer. I know my role. The bridegroom has come, and I'm thankful that he's here, and I'm joyful now. So here's my question for you in your life. It's not supposed to be about you. How much of it's about you? How much of your decisions... How much of your thoughts, how much of your worries, how much of your concern, how many of your concerns, how much of that is about you and not about Jesus and his kingdom? I believe he would say to you, stop focusing on you, focus on me. Now, what happens a lot of times, like with Jesus, he's the lion and he's also the what? What? lamb so a lot of times when we see these things in scripture it's kind of like okay well how it applies to both what's interesting is in this scenario yes we can learn from john he's the best man but we can learn that we want to make it about jesus and rejoice who's the bride we're the bride the church is the bride so what's incredible is at the same time hey it's not about us in some sense it kind of is And some men are like, I don't want to be the bride. (laughs) It's a collective term, of course, showing that we're Jesus's. And again, side note, speaking to men here, if you want to know how you should treat your wives, look at how Jesus treats the church. Do you love your wife? Are you gentle with her? Will you lay down your life for her, which means more than just dying for her, but will you lay down the things of your life that you, oh, I desire, I have to have these things. Will you lay those down for your bride. Do you speak poorly about your bride to other people? Do you let other people speak poorly about your bride? You better believe Jesus doesn't. That's his bride. We're his bride. We can learn from him on that. Just a side note. So he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore the joy of mine is now complete. Look what he says in verse 30. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Listen to what John says. He says, I must decrease. He must increase. That's the whole plan. That's what's going to happen. We're going to see why in the following verses. But again, that needs to be our mentality. I got to be less important. Jesus has to be more important. Why? Why does Jesus have to increase? I'm so glad you guys asked. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. Why does he need to increase? Because he's above all. That's why. Why do you need to decrease? I love you, but listen, you're not above all. I'm not above all. I need to decrease. He needs to increase. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Realize John is talking about himself here. And all of us. He's saying, I'm of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Verse 32 He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet nobody receives his testimony. Jesus already said this a couple weeks ago. He said nobody receives his testimony. The one person we should trust, the one person whose testimony is always going to be right, he's the one that people rejected. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. If you receive his testimony, then you're going to set your seal. God is true. What does that mean? What that ultimately is saying is God is true with what he said. What has he said That he sent his son. That he loves his son. And in that, he loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. You're going to set your seal to that. Kind of a seal like on the back of an envelope with the wax. Going to seal that in place. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. This is talking about Jesus for he gives the spirit without measure that's an interesting phrase what that means there is now the prophets of old they had the spirit of god but they had it to a certain degree just to fulfill their task but Jesus has it without measure he has the spirit and again John saw this during his baptism he saw the spirit come on him that's how he knew that Jesus was the messiah if you remember you saw the spirit come on and it stays on him and John goes ah messiah and that spirit that comes on Jesus is without measure. That's why Jesus can do everything perfectly. Last verse is here. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Do you remember what scripture last week said that God also loves? For God so loved the Who does he love more? Does he love his son or does he love the world? Isn't that interesting? Like, Think about it for a second. He loves His Son and He loves the world, but He gives His Son for the world. It's interesting. Realize that in eternity past, for all eternity, the Father has loved the Son, the Son has loved the Father, and the Spirit, perfect love, perfect unity. They don't need us. But in that, in this gracious love, He actually invites us to be a part of this perfect love that's always existed. That's what we get invited into. And so we get brought into this relationship of love. He has given all things into his hand. I want you to see something real quick. Flip over to John 6, real quick. John 6, 35 through 40. This was read, I believe, this morning. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What's he talking about there? Who's he talking about? He's talking about his church. He's talking about church. One more place, John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know no one will snatch them out of my hand. No, I'm sorry. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, who's he talking about? Believers, the church. Here's what I want you to grab as we close down here. Listen to this. What Jesus just said, go back to John 3. He says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. You are a divine gift from the Father to the Son. If all things have been given from the Father to the Son, he's talking about the church that he's going to give to the Son, that would mean that you as part of the church, if you've trusted in Christ, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. I hope that makes you feel special. I hope that makes you feel loved. That in eternity past, God would say, this church My church, my beautiful church, I give to you, my son. And when I give them to you, my son, don't you lose any of them. And he says, Dad, I got this. Because I have the Spirit without measure, and I'm perfect, and I can do this. I will not lose a single one. I hope you feel that love. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This is some of the same language we just heard. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Just like the condemnation. Notice it says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. But then on the negative side, whoever does not obey the Son shall not live. Realize that true belief will will result in obedience. True belief will result in obedience to Christ. So for those of you who are here today and you've never heard this and you're like, my first time here in the gospel, I've heard it, but I've never decided to trust in Jesus. Listen, if you will cry out to him, if you will believe in him, you will be saved and you will be part of that church that is given as a gift to the Son and he will never lose you. Some of you may say, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I walked the aisle when I was 7 and I was baptized, and I've never followed Jesus since." That means you're not obeying him. And the thing about obeying him is you don't do it in a burdensome way as John talks about later. You do it out of joy because you've tasted salvation, you want to obey Him. If you don't obey Him, then you need to ask God to show you if you're actually saved. And today, you can trust in Him and be saved. And lastly, if you're here and you follow Jesus, you obey Jesus, praise God. Everything you have is a gift from above, so praise Him. And realize that you are an eternal divine gift from the Father, to the sun. So when you go out into the world and your boss says, I'm tired of you, I want to fire you, I'm going to get rid of you, or this or that. Or somebody else says, you're, not, you're worthless. You're not important. Your, your ideas don't matter. What I want you to do is I want you to remember that you are a gift from the Father to the Son. And you remember that no matter what this world tells you. Or what your own mind sometimes tells you. Believe truth. Let's pray. Father, we long for the marriage supper of the Lamb with your Son. We long for that day. Lord, we practice for that when we take your supper as we have today, Lord. We are thankful that John is a great example of how it is not about us, it is about your kingdom, your glory. Lord, and I testify to everybody in here, there has never been a moment in my life that I've regretted by making much of your name. I've never regretted that, but there are many times in my life that I've regretted making it about me. So I pray today, Lord, for those of us who are here who are following you, Lord, help us in one hand to make things about your kingdom and about serving and loving others because as an outworking, as an outflow of the fact that you have loved us when we were unlovable, and you have given us, Father, to the Son as a gift, that you would love us that much. You've invited us into this perfect love that you have with your Son and with your Spirit. Lord, for those who know that they don't follow Jesus, they know they have not tasted the love of God, or even for those who think they have, Lord, but there's something missing, and they know deep down inside it's been missing for a while. I pray, Father, that today they would cry out to you. Lord, if that's what it is, then you would bring them during this invitation time down to the front and they would make a a stand and say, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, if there are some here who have yet to obey you in baptism and they want to make that commitment today, I pray that they would. Lord, if they do not, I pray that you would have mercy on them. give them another opportunity to believe. But we echo David. We say, Lord, we know today is the day of salvation. I pray for those in here. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.